Our scripture today is found in Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 11. Nice symmetry there. 2.11 to 3.11. And while you're looking that up, I'd like to draw your attention to this little blue connect card. It's right there by the Bibles and the hymnals in the back of the pew. Um, if you're a guest, we'd love for you to fill this out so we could send you a note this week. And also, just for anyone, it's a great place to ask any questions, to mark any decisions you may have made. It's just an easy way to communicate with our church. So you can leave this on your seat or put it in the offering plate later. All right, let's read together. Titus 2, 11 through 3, 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we were too foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our, God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time, and after that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. I meant for us to change that music to something more State of the Union-ish, you know, like Hail to the Chief or something. That might have been overkill, but... Oh, well, maybe next time. Oh, may have to turn... Uh, we are at a, a kind of a neat anniversary mark here recently, and we've been, I've mentioned this before, and, and you've mentioned this before, and in fact, we, y'all threw a surprise party for uh, Julie and I and, and the kids the other day on a Wednesday night, and those of you who are Wednesday nighters and gave us a generous gift, thank you for that. It was to celebrate five years of ministry here, and it's hard to believe that five years have passed uh, since uh, it was May of 2014 when Julie and I came here to West Monroe to uh, be your pastor. 
and it's been five years of uh, ministry since then. It's been good times, lots of good uh, relationships and friendships and things worth looking back on a little bit. And so I want to take just a moment to kind of look back on that and then through this message to look forward uh, to where we're headed as well. Some of you have heard the story of when I came here, some of you maybe not. Um, just in a nutshell, I was a worship pastor in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. I was perfectly content minding my own business. And uh, we had been there about seven years at a church that we loved and with people that we loved there. And I was told that your pastor of 20 years, uh, Brother Dennis Anger, was retiring and that y'all were looking for a new pastor. So I started sending names. <laughs> we had friends and family in the church and, and so trying to help out. And uh, I recommended a good friend of mine, John Simmons, who went through a process with your pulpit committee and even came down and interviewed with you and uh, preached here on Sunday and all that. And I was convinced that he was going to be coming here. And I was su- kind of surprised by it. Uh, but thought that was pretty neat. Well then, uh, John told me one day in his office there in Springfield, Missouri, that just they had prayed about it and decided this wasn't the right fit for them at that time or whatever. And, and uh, it just really surprised me. But what surprised me more was that in that moment, it was as if the Holy Spirit just blew up a bomb in my brain or something like that. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but uh, all of a sudden I just kept thinking like, maybe I'm supposed to consider this and I couldn't sleep at night. And it uh, really took me by surprise because, see, I kind of had a plan for my own life, you know. A lot of us, we tend to do that. There's a proverb, something about a man makes his own plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Um, I've, I've experienced that to some degree in my life. And so kind of had a plan of, well, you know, someday maybe I'll be a pastor, but probably not yet. And uh, when I do, you know, I've, I had already at that time, you know, tried to help other churches move forward through some changes and things like that. I knew it was a difficult process and it really kind of had my fill of it and said, Lord, you know, maybe we could uh, go to a, you know, a larger church and a, a church that was kind of progressive and we could just hit the ground running and, and not have to fight through a bunch of changes and things like that and uh, things that are difficult. And, uh, but instead the Lord said, well, how about this church? And, and I'm glad that it all worked out the way it did. But at the time, I was like, Lord, <laughs> this is nothing personal. It was just that oh, it was not what I had in mind, you know, not what I had pictured. And so I took some convincing. And not only that, after we came and we had a great weekend here, and we felt like things went well and that this was, it seemed to be confirmed that this was what, the way the Lord was moving, um, then the vote that you took was not what either of us expected, neither your leadership nor us. And so I was advised by others not to come to a church where you didn't receive a better vote than that because then you're uh, facing a lot of changes that you need to make in a church where a good percentage of the church is already set against you kind of a thing. And so it was recommended not to do it and that was my initial reaction. But the leadership of the church asked me to pray about it some more and asked me to consider some other angles of the situation that you were in as a church where you're kind of at a fork in the road, if you will, of which direction are we going to go as a church. And there was some disagreement about the best path forward. And so I did pray about it and felt that the Lord said, come. And so we came. And 
really, when you look back on the last five years and just the warmth of relationship that we've experienced from you and hopefully you've experienced from us to some degree, I'm amazed by it and I feel like it's a work of the Holy Spirit for any pastor and his church to get along uh, as well as we've gotten along and and to navigate through as many changes as we've navigated through in the last five years without uh, despising each other or anything like that. In fact, I feel like, uh, well, I, I've heard from some of the folks who you know, weren't so sure about me that you know, they felt like, wow, this really has worked out well. And, and so that's a testimony to the grace of God and that when God has some, a plan in store, even though it may not look like the best plan to people, if it's his plan, he'll work it out. Amen? Amen. And so we're thankful for that. And uh, so, you know, again, it's just gone better, I think, than any of us could have hoped for or expected. Uh, I'm just so thankful. There's churches that, again, have, um, have split up and gotten into all kinds of ugly fights and wounded their pastors, and the pastors wounded the church over much smaller issues than what we've faced over the last five years. And so let's just look back for a minute over uh, some of the changes that have taken place. Uh, we have, for one, one of the first things we did was completely upend and overhaul the children's ministry of this church. And that's been ongoing for uh, a long time. And uh, but especially there at the beginning, some major changes that you know some of you may not have been aware of, but it was a significant changes to the way we did children's church and and just our processes and and who was teaching and when and how and what and uh, so that was it was quite a shift. We significantly rewrote the bylaws, which anyone experienced with church leadership tells you don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> just don't go there, especially in your first few years somewhere as a pastor. Just leave that alone. And we navigated through that and uh, successfully. And it was, it was a significant change that we uh, worked through together. We've remodeled and redecorated most of the building. I mean, I've heard of churches splitting over arguments on the carpet color, you know, and things like that. And we've changed a lot around here in just the way things look. And y'all have been patient with us on that and with all the folks involved with that. Uh, recently, we changed our name on our signage. And again, that often leads to lots of problems in churches. And that, again, has gone so smoothly. The worship ministry has been in a gradual state of change for five years and uh, you know some of you remind me of that from time to time but we still get along on that all right too so I, I feel like also that there's a, a growing warmth in our worship time uh, sometimes we do still need that reminder to smile and participate but on the whole, I feel like when we gather, there's a warmth to our gatherings and it's increasing and growing. And, and many of you are making an effort to participate and engage more in worship when we sing our praises to God. I'm thankful for that. We completely overhauled our Sunday school ministry. And we now have circles that meet before and after church. Uh, we, that involved moving our service time. I mean, I've heard horror stories of boards splitting over changes to service times and you know I mean it's just you know those other churches can you believe them 
Uh, recently, you know, we've had a chance over the, for the better part of the last year to uh, minister to neighborhood kids and youth from around that, uh, you know, come from a different culture and racial background than most of us. And uh, you've embraced that opportunity. Uh, many of you have given uh, above and beyond to provide extra food and things for those students, gifts, things like that. Uh, many of you have given up your time and volunteered to help uh, minister to those students, and it's been an awesome opportunity. Others of you have just been a warm welcomer, whereas a lot of churches and probably what those students expect, a lot of places they go like this, uh, to see a lot of frowns or scowls or stop touching that <laughs> and Stop doing that, and you've been so gracious, and I believe a good witness to the love of Jesus, and so all those have been changes and things, experiences that we've gone through in the last five years that, uh, man, not every church can navigate successfully uh, without a lot of drama and tension, uh, and again, wounds from pastors and wounds to pastors and their families, and so we thank God for his grace upon us these last five years as we've navigated those together. And I just, I think y'all are exceptional. Our attendance, um, you know, everyone wants to know, how's your attendance doing? If I go and talk to other pastors, you know, that's the marker. I'm not sure it's the best one, but we talk about it. Our attendance has held strong. Uh, in fact, this last Mother's Day and Easter were our strongest attendance on those respective special days um, in about a decade. So, uh, so that's encouraging. So when we first came here five years ago, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but um, there was, it was just a very much older congregation, and so we knew going into it, uh, well, for that matter, our experience in Springfield, Missouri had taught us that when you have a lot of older generation in a church, the church changes a lot quickly. Um, whether you try to change it or not, just because it's that season of life. And sometimes people get to the stage where they can't keep coming to church regularly or they pass away or whatever the situation is. And so we knew that was going to happen and we have preached a lot of funerals and there has been change that way. We've said farewell to some who've moved and so forth. And uh, so the fact that we have been able to hold steady in, in attendance and even get stronger in that area is, is a marker of health and progress, I think. Our giving has also held steady and strong. Our, our business team has been responsible to cut back on our budget where we can, and, and you've been faithful to give and support the ministries of this church. And so and a few years back, we were telling you at a business meeting that uh, we were at like a week and a half worth of operating expenses in the bank. In other words, keep giving <laughs> or we're going down. And at this point, you know, we have been averaging around six weeks, which is awesome. And so thank you for your support in that area. And of course, we've had the opportunity to baptize a lot of folks too over the last few years. And that's always good. I want to share a little bit about demographics. I've shared that before. Um, I believe that a church, a healthy church, over time will come to reflect the demographics of its community. Uh, that what is the typical breakdown for West Monroe area should be kind of similar to what we find here. Now that's not always the case probably in this day and age where 
Uh, our older generations tend to attend church in higher numbers than younger generations do. But yet, the percentages aren't so different that it shouldn't be similar. And so, I've shown you this picture before, but this was Easter 1956 at Cypress Street. And when you look, I know it's kind of probably hard to see, but there's a lot of little people in the front. A lot of them. And behind them are a lot of young adults and students and college age uh, Behind them are moms and dads and so forth. And, and yes, there's some gray heads in there too. Uh, but this was very reflective of what the community looks like, the demographic. When we came, this is just sort of a, a breakdown, and it's, very, it's vague and unscientific, but what this shows is uh, how many people below working age, so not adults yet, and how many people are working age that span from our 20s through our 60s when we retire at some point in there uh, and then those that are above working age and so I just my best guess from the picture in 1956 was that they had about 49 children and youth college age kids and, and about 29 of working age and about 11 uh, that were like retirement age and when we came here in 2014, um, we had about 22 children, people below working age, uh, about 27 of working age, and about 40 who were working, uh, or uh, I mean retired. And so it's a, almost a flip-flop from 1956. And don't you know, feel bad about that. That's, uh, it's a trend in churches across the country and beyond our country as well. Um, so many churches are experiencing that, especially smaller churches. Uh, in 2019, we've raised the number of kids to 37. We've got 44 of working age and 33 of retirement age. And so you can see that there's been a shift in demographics, even though our attendance uh, on, from week to week hasn't shifted a lot over the last five years. Uh, who is attending has shifted a lot and thankfully as we've said farewell to some uh, we've also gained new families and babies and um, celebrated new life as well and so it's been uh, I think a healthy thing to see our our demographics coming you know gradually to reflect more closely our community around us So those are all things worth celebrating and things we can look back on. But I still ask myself, I think some of you do sometimes too, why do we struggle? Why do we fight the fight to grow this church, to make it a healthy place, to uh, you know, keep the doors open, if you will? If you drive down the street, there's dozens of churches in this community, right? This is the Bible Belt. We've got churches, almost more churches than we have chicken places to eat, you know? Uh, we, uh, we've got churches everywhere. Small ones, huge ones, medium-sized ones. What's special about Cypress Street? Why, why fight the fight? 
Why struggle to change and to reach? What do we have to offer that someone else isn't already offering better? I haven't encouraged us, uh, for instance, to do VBS in a long time because everybody does VBS and some of these churches do a VBS that, you know, is like the ritzy VBS, you know, it's fancy, it's uh, like, how are we going to compete with that? And, and there's so many of them in the community that parents just line their kids up for free daycare through the year anyway, and uh, probably we'd just be using the same curriculum that some church down the street was already using. And So those kinds of things we run into, it's like, well, what is our niche? Do we have one? What, what do we have to contribute that would be of worth to our community and to believers in our community and to non-believers in our community. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about today. And that's why I chose that passage from Titus. Uh, the book in the Bible that we call Titus is actually just a letter, a personal letter written from the Apostle Paul to a young man he was mentoring named Titus. And in that passage we read was just very typical what you read in the New Testament when you read about what the message of the early church was, what the gospel was about. And I point it out today because I feel like most of the churches in our community preach more or less the same version of the gospel and I'm not quite sure how biblical it is. Let me explain. We are very influenced in our corner of the world by what we might call uh, evangelical culture, uh, even Southern or Bible Belt culture, uh, that there's a, a kind of a brand of Christianity that's unique to this corner of the world. And one of the things that is typical, see if it sounds and resonates with you, is that when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, we tend to talk about um, the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that you can be forgiven for your sins and go to heaven instead of going to hell. It's been typical in this community and in the South for a long time to warn people severely about hell, right? And especially in a previous generation, right? Not so far back. Uh, our, our parents, our grandparents grew up with a lot of hellfire and brimstone, right? On Sunday mornings and reminders of what was in store for those who were evildoers and that we needed forgiveness for our sins and so you'd come to an altar and you would pray a prayer asking Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you for your sins so that you can go to heaven instead of going to hell. Uh, a lot of people were scared into doing that or guilted into doing that or shamed into doing that and a lot of people saw that as uh, whether they would admit it or not a chance to buy some good fire insurance, right? And this has been kind of typical of the gospel message for a long time, but strangely, it's not in line with what I can find in the New Testament. In fact, I've looked through in the book of Acts where the apostles share the gospel. There's several, ver several versions of it. There's Peter's sermons, there's uh, Paul, there's... Uh, Stephen, there's different ones who've shared the gospel. Then we have the uh, letters to the churches where the apostles remind the churches of the gospel that their hope is in. 
And, and whenever they share the gospel, I've never heard that version of it from an apostle of Jesus. I've never heard them talk about, well, the reason uh, you should ask Jesus for forgiveness is because you're going to hell. And, and so then if you'll pray a prayer, then you'll go to heaven. That version of the gospel I've yet to run across. If you find it, I sincerely want to see it. Um, and, and I'll amend this sermon. We'll go back and re-preach it. But what I do typically find are passages like the one that we read today that talk about how the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people and that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing and notice what the hope is, not just heaven, but the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, His return, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from what? All wickedness. And to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. This is the version of the Gospel that I hear over and over and over again. The grace of God that has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And in our culture, when you say the word grace, people think about unmerited forgiveness. And when you say the word salvation, they think about heaven instead of hell. But when you said that in the New Testament times, when you said that uh, in Jesus' day and in the first generation of believers' day, they were thinking about the grace of and the salvation that rescues you from a sinful, corrupted generation. From sin and corruption in your flesh. That changes your life. That purifies you. That leads you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And yes to being purified. To having self-control. while we wait. In fact, did you know, did you remember why the angel said Mary and Joseph needed to name Jesus, Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. I believe we have a message that is needed by both Christians and non-Christians alike in our community. What we're offering is not just a free pass someday or a ticket to heaven. What we're offering is more than a spiritual transaction that takes place where you move from condemned to forgiven. What we're offering is a new way of life. What we're offering is a transformed way of thinking and feeling and being. We don't need another form of, of legalism, that's for sure, where we're just trying to follow rules and be good enough to get to heaven. Uh, that's more like Judaism. What Jesus came to do was to die and resurrect so that we can not only find forgiveness for our past sins, but expressly to find forgiveness so that we can move on into a new way of life available to us through His Holy Spirit. 
This is the gospel of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, These then are the things you should teach. All those things he just listed. And he goes on for kind of a round two. It says, When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, Right? We can't earn our own favor with him, but because of his mercy. But remember what he saved us from, right? And here you go. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. That's what your salvation is about. Washing of rebirth, a fresh start on life. In a new way of life. In a new kingdom where you're being renewed by the Holy Spirit, whom He pours out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, made right with God, brought into His people, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Yes, we have hope of eternal life. But here's the thing we forget about eternal life. When we hear eternal life, if you're like me, you hear heaven. Eternal life, heaven. Uh, eternal life is, is a kind of life in the New Testament. You know, in the New Testament, there's this idea that there's two ways you can live in general. Really, in, when I say ways you can live, I mean like ways, like paths you can take. And, and there, each of these ways of life has a different trajectory, a different direction that it's headed, a different destination. And according to Jesus and his apostles, the way of life that we're born into is sinful and corrupted. It's rebellious against God. Our, our flesh has been corrupted. We have desires that aren't good for us, for our, for our communities, and they're not honoring to God who created. And so because of that, that path that we're initially on in this life is one that is its trajectory leads to a destination that is often called hell. It's a destination of destruction. It's a destination where, you know, if you keep doing these things, here's where that's headed. Then there's a, a different way of living, a different trajectory that you can get on where you point your life instead towards eternal life, towards a, a manner of living and being that is actually worth experiencing forever. I think about it this way for a moment. If you live a life of, let's just say, let's make an extreme example just to make it easy, of lying and cheating and stealing and making enemies, and we allow that to go on forever, how's that going to play out for you over time? But what if your habits were being reformed and instead you lived your life by a law of love that was written on your heart by a Savior who loves you so much and He pours His love into your heart by His Holy Spirit so that we are loving one another instead and allow that to play out over time. And what kind of life what kind of peace, what kind of joy does that lead to? Titus 
Um, Apostle Paul said to Titus, this, what we just read, is a trustworthy saying. As in, say it. <laughs> Let everyone know about it. Memorize it. It's a saying. It's something worth repeating. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And this, this is what the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is about. This is what the good news is about. This is what our message is about. And I think that it's a message needed. So if there's something we can contribute, I think it's this, that we could be leading more people to live like Jesus. We could lead more people to live like Jesus. We ourselves could learn to live more like Jesus and in the process bring others along with us so that we're leading people to live like Jesus. And if we're doing that, then I believe we'll be getting at the heart of what the gospel is all about changing the trajectory of our lives so that we're not conforming to the patterns of this world, but instead are being transformed into new people with new ways of life. This is a message that's not getting preached everywhere. If it does get preached, often it's as like a side dish to the main course, right? And so we make this central because... The Gospels make this central. We make this central because the Apostles made it central. And I believe it's needed. I think that when we oversimplify, if that would be the right word, the Gospel to be about a prayer that you pray so you can go to heaven instead of hell, then we take out all the personal responsibility that would give meaning and purpose to people's lives. That's why a lot of people, and men in particular, have checked out of the church. I just believe that an oversimplified gospel weakens our faith and our case for our faith. To those who have questions and doubts, who are told, no, just don't think about it too much, just have faith. Yes, faith is critical. Yes, we have hope of eternal life. But let's not forget why. Because Jesus came to save us from sin for a new way of life that's available to us through his death and resurrection by the Holy Spirit's working in us. Let's lead more people to live like Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we teach that first. We have to start talking about the Holy Spirit more and more because the Holy Spirit is uh, the power of God's grace at work in us. We have to talk about practically how we can partner with the Holy Spirit to be made new. To do those things that the Apostle Paul just mentioned in Titus about how we need to 
say what? Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Well, how do you do that? It's not as simple as just saying no, right? It might be a good start. might be more than some of us are doing, right? <laughs> I could probably afford to say no to some things, and that would be a good start. But how do we say no? How do we partner with the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of our flesh? So there's disciplines and ways that we can, there's you know, tool, a toolbox that the Christian has that we can use to partner with the Holy Spirit to put our lives in position for Him to do work on us. And so we need to be teaching those things. We have to become aware as a church of the opportunity afforded to us by the trials that we face in this life. The big ones and the little ones. The daily ones. You know, the car in front of you. Those kind. The rock through the window. The, the kid that keeps saying, Mama, 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 Mama. Uh, those kinds of trials, but also the really heavy ones. The diagnosis from the doctor. The loss of a loved one. Your struggle against pain or depression. All these really heavy trials too. They're all to be expected. And they're all opportunities. For the testing and refining of our faith. We can practice and we can learn and we can pray. But at some point you have to get in the game, right? And find out what your faith is made of. And those trials that we go through give us those opportunities. And that's why in the New Testament so often a struggling church going through so many trials would talk about rejoicing in their trials, giving thanks in their trials. Not because those trials were so fun. Yay! Who's going to persecute us today, right? They didn't, they didn't have that attitude. But they knew that God could use those for their good and for the good of his kingdom. And so they trusted and they rejoiced even in those difficult situations, knowing that it provided an opportunity for the refining of their faith. And so we have to keep that in mind as well. As we do these things, as we remember what our faith is all about, as we work to change the trajectory of our lives, I believe we'll have the opportunity to lead a lot of people to live like Jesus. And someday, you know, maybe we'll get a chance to look around and see just a ton of new faces in this room. But you know what would be even more cool, more awesome than having a bunch of new faces in this room? Would be having a bunch of new hearts and minds in this room. That's a vision worth pursuing. To look out and see men and women and students whose lives are being transformed to the point that it's affecting their home environment. It's affecting their workplace environment. 
that it's affecting our community. You know, we think of ourselves as a small church and how can we have an impact. And I think that that's partly because we often think about a church's impact in terms of the kinds of projects that we see larger churches undertake sometimes. Of, uh, we're going to build this, or we're going to do that, or we're giving $100,000 to this project, right? Or things like that. And we're like, yeah, you know, not sure we can do that. And I'm thankful for those churches. We should all be thankful for those churches. I think that every gathering of believers that the Lord has who are available to Him is awesome because they can do something unique that the others can't. Our opportunity, though, should not be underestimated. It was just a few people gathered in an upper room when the Holy Spirit came that turned the entire world upside down and started the greatest movement in human history. If they can turn the whole world upside down, then I think that this group of people right here, without adding a single person to you, could turn West Monroe upside down. I'm just thinking. <laughs> so we'll learn to live like Jesus, and we'll lead others to do likewise. I want to ask you to make a note to yourself, maybe on that note card, or maybe on your phone, if, you, if that's your preferred place of making yourself reminders. Write it on the back of your hand, not the palm of your hand. That'll just get sweaty and wipe right off. But make a note and remind yourself to pray about this with us. That we as a church would pray about, all right, what do the next five years hold? How can we lead people to live more like Jesus? Let's dedicate ourselves to praying about that. I'm going to invite our leadership team today to come and voice our prayer to conclude our message. We have a leadership team made up of three individuals, and that was one of those changes that took place in the last five years. But uh, Carolyn Hogue, James Vickery, Mike Cootie, they serve on our leadership team with me. And I've invited them to come and each voice a prayer and as we conclude this message today. And so would you stand and they'll each lead us in a short prayer, one at a time. Let's pray. Father God, Father of all wisdom, share it with us. As our supreme leader, teach us how to lead and guide your flock. Help us to be worthy of being your followers. Take care of your leaders in this congregation and around this city. Help them to be good leaders for the flock. Think this morning, Father, of our Pastor Neil and Julie, 
time they invest in the kingdom. Pray that you will continue to lead and bless them, teach them, strengthen them, give them wisdom in in the things that they do and the decisions they make. Along with them, we ask that you will be with our church secretary, with your leadership team, those in charge of our facilities and the resources that we put to use for you here. Work with those who work with our children and lead them day to day. Be with those who guide our youth. Be with all of these in the church that are responsible for outreach, for benevolence, for visitation. Pray that you will send your spirit and touch our hearts and teach us teach and lead us in the way that we should go, that we should follow your example. I'm asking this morning, Father, that you will also prepare the next generation, the new leaders, because there's always change. We ask that you will uh, prepare those that you already know or are to be good leaders for the church, for the kingdom. Pray that you will build them up and instruct them day to day and prepare their hearts. I'm asking this morning, Father, that you make your leaders good followers of you and that you make your followers in this congregation, good leaders for the situation that that we all fall in, for the building up of the kingdom, making the most of our life now, and preparing us for the future. Father, we pray today that you would help each of us here to commit ourselves to a closer walk with you. We know, Father, that if we're able to accomplish this, that we must be committed to growing in every way that we can in you. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer. Help us to exercise that more in our lives and spend the time with you to get to know you better. We thank you for your word that instructs us. We pray, Father, that we would have a regular time each day that we can read and study your word and that you would show us the things that we need to put into our lives to grow. And we pray, Father, that you'd also help us to commit to faithful church attendance, our classes, the preaching of the word, the fellowship, All of these contribute to our growth. And as we come and be together, Father, we love each other 
and it's a way that we can encourage each other to grow each day. And Father, we pray that you would help us to trust you with all the challenges of life that come our way because you know what's best for us and you can lead us in the ways that we should go. Help us to trust you more every day. And Father, we pray that each person that comes to this church would exercise the gifts that you have, been give, have given us to contribute to this church body. All of us are gifted in some way, be it small or great, and each of us can be used to keep our church going. Help us to see where we can help every day. And Father, we pray that you would, as we commit to grow in you, that you would help us to always be overflowing with thanksgiving for all of the blessings that you give us each day. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for the love that you have for each of us, Lord. And just in our, our daily walk with you and our life's journey, just help us to, to be closer to you. Help us to seek to be closer to you, to, Lord, look for your will in each of our lives. Help us to grow stronger spiritually. And help us to share your love, Lord, with other people so that we can bring other people in and share your love. We thank you for each one. We thank you for the blessings that you give to each one of us. And we just ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.